This is part two of our three-part Thanksgiving series on the 136th Psalm. And for those of you who were here last week, I want to just talk a little bit about what we talked about last week as a quick review. And for those of you that weren't here, this will maybe serve as a little background for this text. We discussed uh, the uh, the 136th Psalm that it begins with a phrase, give thanks. And this phrase actually is the beginning of the first three verses and also the last verse as well. And it's a simple phrase, give thanks. And it's a very uh, blasé phrase, just it can be, give thanks to God for he is good. But this isn't describing thanks in the context of what is uh, common in our polite society. This isn't, hey, thank you for your help or hey, I appreciate that you, you worked with me on that. This isn't speaking of, of even the, the polite maybe prayers that we do to God where we say thank you for this food and it's kind of quick and, and perfunctory in, in its manner. But, but this phrase give thanks is actually from a singular Hebrew word that paints a, a word picture that describes an individual that is giving thanks with great exuberance. In fact, the, the phrase actually describes give thanks to God with someone throwing up their hands In exuberant praise, give thanks to God for he is good. And we practiced that last week. Do you remember that? Some of you were here. Can we practice that one more time? Give thanks to God. Can you see your hands? A little less than last week. Okay. I know it snowed this week and so some of your joints are stiff and it's a little harder to get the hands up this week. I understand. That's okay. But it's this idea of giving thanks to God for he is good. Not just say thanks God. I appreciate what you've done for me. but, but But a passionate Powerful prayer. We also spoke about the phrase that completes every verse in the psalm. His love endures forever, or for some of you, his steadfast love endures forever in some of your Bibles. And this this statement encapsulates the idea that God's love is the undergirding cause and reason for all of our thanksgiving. The word love in in the Hebrew has said that is translated love here, has said in the Hebrew, conveys three things. It it encapsulates three ideas to, to the Hebrew mind. God has an absolute covenantal commitment to his people. It is sure and it is firm. God is the absolute provider for his people And God's love is absolute. And and last week I used the word, God's love is incoercible. You can't do anything to earn more of God's love and you can't do anything to take away from God's love. That was the first part of, of, of last week's sermon and that sets up this entire passage. We then transitioned into verses two and three which tells us to give thanks to God, the God of gods, and give thanks to the Lord of Lords, which reminds us the importance of pausing to thank God simply for God being God. We thank God for the the things he gives us. We thank him for our meals. We're thankful for the blessings in our lives this week as we we ponder, as, 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 as James talked about to the children, in a special way we focus on giving thanks to God for for all the blessings. But but sometimes it's just good to pause and say, God, I just thank you for being you to acknowledge him as God to acknowledge him as Lord and in that and that alone we give him praise Paul talked about this and we looked at this in Romans chapter 1 
that doing this type of thanksgiving to God, acknowledging God as God, helps to protect us, to guard us against sin, but it also reminds us to keep God as the God of our lives, to not substitute other gods into our lives. Failing to give thanks to God, simply being who he is, can lead us to a place where we begin to put other gods with a small g into his place. Paul wrote in Romans chapter one, for although they knew God, listen to what it says, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, the Bible tells us, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. When we, when we cease to give glory to God for being God, that's what, what Paul says, and cease to give thanks to God for being God, then, then we, we begin to put other gods in the one true God's place. Other things in our lives become our God. We fail to worship and serve the creator, and we begin to worship those things which are created. And that brings us to today's message. And we'll be looking at verses 4 through 22. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you want to open them to the book of Psalms and open it to the 136th Psalm. And we're going to be, we're going to, I want you to particularly pay attention to Psalm 136 verses 4 through 22, but I'm going to begin with verse 1. So if you want to follow along. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to guard the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to guard the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty arm and an outstretched hand, his love endures forever. To him who divided the sea asunder, his love endures forever and brought Israel through the midst of it. His love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the sea. His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. His love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. His love endures forever. To, and, and killed mighty kings. His love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. His love endures forever. And Og, the king of Bashan. His love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance. His love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. If you're thinking, what did that just say? You're not alone. In fact, I had a moment of doubt. Last week, I thought, okay, that went okay. I understood the first beginning of Psalm 136. And then I 
began to wonder, why did I choose this text to pick, preach three sermons out of again? What was I getting into? And of course, I wanted to blame Mark, because Mark and I sat together and we said, okay, what, are we, what should we do for Thanksgiving? And we looked at the psalm and we both thought it was a good idea, but I, but I, 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 I think he thought it was a better idea than I did, so we'll blame him when I had the panic. But, but, but then God showed me something at least, and I want to share with you what he showed to me. The entire section, verses 4 through 22, is an explanation of verse 4, or 5 through 22 is an explanation of verse 4. To him alone who does great wonders. And then the writer, the writer of this psalm, begins to take a survey of history and gives explanation of all the wonders that are caused for us as humanity to give thanks. He, he says, to him alone who does great wonders, and then he begins to survey the course of history, all the things within history of, of reasons why we have to give thanks to God. Ellen White wrote this about the Hebrew people and what led them into thanksgiving. She said this, she said, they chanted the grand Hebrew Psalms with the same reverence and devotion which inspired the composer of the sacred melody. She writes, they exalted God. They brought their experience into history and elevated the marvelous works of God. That's the key sentence that struck me in this passage. The angel visits to the fathers and his revelations to the prophets were all brought into their songs, celebrating the majesty and power and wonderful works of Jehovah. At the sound of the signal trumpet and the music of the cymbals, the voices of praise and Thanksgiving came from thousands of voices. This is what led to their Thanksgiving and praise, she writes. They brought their experience into the entire experience of history. Into the entire experience of history. I've had conversations with individuals when they've been going through rough times, when they're going through a, a dark time in their life, when there's a cloud over their home maybe, a cloud over their, their personal life or their, a cloud over their, their work life, whatever it may be. And in those times where we've been encouraged as pastors to, to remind people about how God has led in the past, about the blessings that God has provided in the past. And numerous times the response to such an encouragement is that an individual is unable to see fully how God has led in the past. Now, of course, there are reasons for this. There's, there might be the, 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 the turmoil of the experience has been so hard it's, it's blocking their vision or, or maybe uh, uh, their, their history of their entire life and the history of their family's life has been, been one of, of struggle to such a degree that it's hard to see beyond that, to see how God has, has fully blessed. But I believe that for, for many of us, and I'll include myself in this, one of the reasons why it's a challenge for us to, to, to clearly look back and see the amazing wonders of God in, in everything in life is because many of us are raised in a very individualistic society. A society where we, where we, we, we have a, a narrow view of things. And when we are challenged to remember how God has worked in the past, the furthest we go back maybe is last week or last month or the last year. 
Maybe when we're challenged to think about how God has led in the past, the furthest we go back is our own personal history or maybe only, maybe we may step into the history of our own parents. And for some of you, when that is how far you go back, you may see very little to be thankful about to God in that history. But what I see in the scriptures is that, that your history and, 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 and my history is the collective whole of humanity. The wonders of, of your history are not just what you personally experienced, but they are the collective wholes of what all of humanity has experienced. To illustrate this, let me give you a, 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 a picture of this when I, when I, where I see this happening in our society. When I was at the seminary, one of my responsibilities was to kind of analyze the overall collective experience of worship on the campus of Andrews University. And so I was analyzing this, this, this aspect of things, and one of the things they wanted to, to do was improve the Vespers program. And so they said, tell us what the experience is like for people on this campus, survey that, find out what that is. And you know what one of the things that I saw most uh, clearly was that the experience was segregated. You had the white people over here, you had the black people over here, you had Adelante, the Hispanics over here, you had an Asian group. There was all these different segregated worships on campus. I tell you that just because it leads into why I began kind of my exploration of what I did. So I began to ex visit with these other groups, and I, and I spent quite a bit of time, because it was the largest group on campus, a worship group on campus, I spent quite a bit of time with the African-American community. And as I got to know them more and more, I, I heard a lot about the black experience. And my friends would talk about the oppression of their people. And my friends would talk about the difficulties that, that, that their people had gone through. And they would reference events in history. And they would reference experience in history that, that had happened in the Jim Crow era. Sometimes they would even mention things about, about slavery and they would speak of, of slavery and they would speak of, of the oppression in the 50s and the 60s and the 40s in, in a language as if it was something they themselves had experienced. And I will admit that in my ignorance and I'd say even in my prejudice, I would, I would in my mind get a little bit annoyed at this. And I would think to myself, and when my friends would say such things, I would think to myself, you weren't even alive in the 60s. Why do you get to reference that as, as part of your experience? You were never a slave. Why, why is that some issue that you are bringing up? Why does this matter? Maybe some of you have had similar thoughts. But can I say what, what our, our black brothers and sisters are doing is they are bringing their own experience into the entirety of history. Into the entirety of history. This way of viewing the world is actually, I believe, a biblical way of viewing the world. The tie to all of history. It's not just, what it about, it's not just about what has happened to me and my own personal experience, but it is about what has happened throughout the course of history, and that is all tied into me. It is why the collective Jewish community feels the tragedy of the Pittsburgh shooting that happened so recently. They feel it at maybe a deeper level than some of the rest of us do. We're shocked and we're horrified by it and, 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 and we're disgusted by it. But they feel it at another level. And it is not only due to fear in the, to the extent that they are of Jewish heritage, but 
but what they're experiencing is the collective narrative over their, of their people over time. It's larger than just this one thing, but it's the collective narrative. The writer of the psalm, of this psalm, the past events that he writes about, the past experiences that he writes about, the things that cause him to give thanks, when he says, give thanks to the God, who, the, the God of all wonders, and then the wonders that he recites, the wonders that he shares with us, predated his existence. They predated the existence of, of the psalmist. Creation. The psalmist wasn't there when the, when the earth was created, but, but he sings of it as if it was his own experience. The, the deliverance from Egypt. He wasn't alive when, when the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, but he, but he sings of it as if it's his own experience. The parting of the sea, the 40 plus years of protection in the wilderness for the people of Israel, victory over armies, and he even named some of them, Sahon and Og, and he names these, these armies and these kingdoms. He wasn't alive when those things happened, and yet he writes of them and speaks of them as if they were his own personal experience. The gifting of the promised land to his ancestors. All of this predates the psalmist, and yet he brings his own experience into the story of history. And it becomes a history to him that's just as real as his own birth and his own ups and downs. When we say give thanks to God, to him alone who does great wonders, Satan wants us to be myopic in our view of history. He wants us to be myopic in our view of history. He wants us to be nearsighted. And if we're nearsighted, maybe we'll look back and we'll say, I don't really have anything to give thanks for. That's not my story. That's their story. I never experienced that. That's not, that's not my, that's not, that's not what I've gone through. That's what they've gone through. I've never experienced that. I can't relate to that. What wonders? But if we take the biblical view of life, if we do what Ellen White described that the Hebrews did, how did she say it? She said they brought their experience into history and elevated the marvelous works of God. As they connected their experience to the experience of history, it elevates the works of God, and suddenly all these things throughout history become their own. And she said, at the sound of the signal trumpet and the music of the cymbal, the voices of praise and thanksgiving came from thousands of voices. If we did this... If we saw the experience of all human history as our own experience as well, we would see that our history includes all the wonders that the psalmist references and even more. The wonders of creation would not simply be a story at the beginning of the Bible to, to affirm that we are a created being or to prove or disprove uh, or to disprove evolution. They are your story and mine. The story of deliverance is, is not just a story for the Israel people or for the Jewish nation, but it's also your story and mine, something that we can say, thanks be to God that he is so wonderful. The story of the parting of the sea and the protection from Pharaoh, the story of, of the protection in the wilderness. What an amazing experience, and it's not their story, it's your story also. When we begin to see every story is part of our story, then the story that we're about to celebrate in just a few weeks about a God leaving heaven and, and entering into the, 
to the womb of a woman and, and then being born onto this earth into the human experience. This is not just a story about Jesus, but is part of our collective story. The story and the wonder of a man living a perfect life and, and then dying on a cross for us is not just wonderful because it performs some legal transaction that can give you salvation, but it's because it's part of your history as well and part of your experience as well. I would even go so far as to say the stories that we may not think about as our stories, but as someone else's stories, become ours as well. In 1994, when my parents moved from California to Ohio, I couldn't understand why anyone would leave California to go to Ohio. You drive into Ohio, and there's a sign that says, Welcome to Ohio. This is what it was back then. I think they've changed the motto since then. But welcome to Ohio, the heart of it all. And I thought, the heart of what? I don't even know where you're at on the map. Of course, now I know that it looks a little bit like a heart, and that's why they say that. Aren't they all clever? It took me like four years of living there before I realized that. Oh, it looks like a heart. That's why they say that. But when my parents left California in 1994 to move to Ohio, I couldn't understand it at all. And my parents even had a different reason for thinking why they moved. But in Ohio, I fell in love with Jesus and I met Jesus. And at my graduation, my dad said this, we thought we moved to Ohio for my job. We realized we moved to Ohio to save my son's life. That is my story, but, but if in any way that I've been a blessing to you in some way, or if any way my family has been a blessing to you in some way, then, then that's actually part of your story as well. That is part of your story as well. And likewise, the wonder that, that God has done in your life and the wonder that, that brought you here, the circumstances that God orchestrated to bring you to this church, the circumstances that God orchestrated to use you and your family in history is not just your story as it has blessed me, it is my story as well. I mean, if we, if we stopped and listened to people's stories, we'd realize that, that man, there is so much to give thanks to God for uh, Heidi Wetmore at the school, she has candy in her office. And I say that because that's why sometimes I drop by. I enjoy candy. So I drop by her office and, and I'm eating some candy and we're just chit-chatting for a minute. And she says something about being from Ohio also. And I said, oh, where are you from in Ohio? And she says, Medina, Ohio. Does anyone, does that sound familiar to anybody? And I, and I go, Medina, Ohio, you know, Mom, Dad, your story hour is on. Da -da. You know, I start doing the whole thing. And uh, she goes, that was my mom. Heidi Wetmore's mom is the original Aunt Sue. I don't know if she wanted me to say that or not, but I'm telling you anyways. Um, is the original Aunt Sue. And then she started telling me about how this, this your story hour thing became a part of the Adventist history, for those of you that aren't sure, go home and look up your story hour and you'll hear those things. I mean, I, I don't know how much I liked it as a kid, but man, I love it now. And it keeps my kids quiet sometimes, so I love it even more. I mean, it is, it is so amazing. But, but her story is, is my story. Is it's been a blessing. This, the story that maybe some would say, oh, well, that's her mom's experience and her mom's story and, and her story. It's, but it's part of all of ours. I was outside the other day on, on a his team and I was chatting with some folk and, and Anthony Kent, who I've known for the last four years and consider him quite a good friend, he starts telling me about his grandfather who lived on some farm and was reading the Bible 
and, and got some material and suddenly was convicted of the Sabbath. And he thought he was the only one that was actually a Sabbath keeper. But he was going to be convicted by that truth. And, and, and how God then led through that to then uh, reach an entire community. And there's all these Adventist families in Australia now because of his conviction right there in that little farming community. Well, that story that has transformed his family's life and transformed the lives of many people in Australia is not just his story. It's my story as well as he's been a blessing in my life. You see, we're all interconnected. The circumstances that God orchestrated to bless your life are also part of my story and vice versa. My wonder is yours and your wonder is mine. And when we look at things myopically, we miss this. When it's all about us and all about our experience and all about what's happened to us and maybe all about the, the bad that has happened to us, we miss all the opportunity to give thanks for so many other things that really are a blessing to us and a part of our larger story. But as we bring, as Ellen White wrote, our experience into history, all of history becomes elevated to a new place. And the wonders of God in every aspect of life become something that we can say, I give thanks to God for that. The psalmist can write as if it's his own experience because he understands this. What happened to the Israelites is part of me. What happened at creation is part of me. What happened in those battles with the kings is part of me. That's my story too. And that's your story as well. If you see history like this, if you look at your life and you say, man, I don't know what to give thanks to God for, I would say you're looking too small. Elevate your eyes and see the story of the person next to you. See the story of a friend that's been kind to you. See the story of the stranger that you meet and they have an amazing testimony to share. See their story as part of your story. And then maybe we'll be even more encouraged to cast out our hands and say thanks to God, truly he is good. Jesus, we thank you for helping us to see in the scriptures that we are not only part of the grand narrative, but the grand narrative is our story as well. Lord, lift up our eyes beyond our individualistic, myopic view. Lift up our eyes beyond our own struggles. Look up, lift up our eyes beyond what we see as a lack of wonder in our life to see all the wonder that is not just my neighbors, that is not just my fellow church members, but the wonder that is mine also. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.